Hi, friend. Welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is a show that's meant to help you remember who you truly are. I'm Ashley Stahl, a career expert, the author of the new book, U-Turn, Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction, and Design Your Dream Career. It's now available everywhere books are sold. And it's my honor to bring you guest conversations or even a solo episode with me every single week, all designed to help you elevate your confidence in work, in love, and in life. This is a place for you to reconnect to who you truly are, what you truly want, and to really heal from anything that is telling you that you are otherwise. I want to also mention my newest, most favorite job hunting tool and the sponsor of this episode. This episode is brought to you by JobSeer. It's J-O-B-S-E-E-R. And I'm so excited to be collaborating with them to bring you this episode. Their tool is an incredible Google Chrome extension plugin. It helps you find people's emails, job hunt more quickly, and it syncs up with your LinkedIn profile so that you don't have to search so hard for opportunities. And bonus points, it starts forwarding you and showing you opportunities that are a fit for you, as well as people's email address that you need to reach out to the opportunities. So those of you who have done my programs, you know how much I love cold networking. This tool jobs here is a game changer. To access the tool now, just head on over to ashleystahl.com slash jobs That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com slash J-O-B-S-E-E-R. You won't regret it. Such an amazing tool. Now let's get in to this week's episode. Now, let's say you're writing to 5,000 people and you are Wells Fargo. Let's say you're, you're Wells Fargo and you're writing to you know, 5,000 or 5 million or someone like that. Instead of doing that boring BS basic communication, you could write something really innovative that walks people through what's going on in the mortgage industry right now that is creating some significantly low rates and give them value in the form of information that they aren't going to get on another finance website. They're not going to see it on MSNBC or wherever they're looking. And that teaches them something. So they have more understanding than before they open that email and make it exciting and captivating to read. And that'll give you an advantage there doing mm. so just, just because you're giving value that the other people are not. What's going on, U-Turners? It's Ash here, and I have somebody really important to me on the show today. It is my dear, dear, dear friend, Craig Clemens, who feels like family to me. And not only is he family, but he happens to be an incredible businessman, and he is the co-founder of Golden Hippo. He has sold more than a billion dollars of product through his words. He's one of the world's top-ranked and the best copywriter, in my humble opinion, and many others. In the world. And we wanted to talk today about the psychology of writing and how he has learned some of the best practices that you can bring into your workday, whether you're writing an email or even having a conversation in a meeting using your words. Um, I have so many questions that I'm going to be asking him, probably putting him on the spot, nothing that he's probably never been asked before. Craig, thank you so much for making the space to be here with me. It means so much. You're welcome. Great to be here. I'm ready to be on the spot. 
Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. I always put you on the spot. So this is just going to be a whole different way on a podcast. Well, I, you know, it's funny, Craig, I feel like I'm around you all the time and I, yeah, I am. I'm at your house more than anybody's house. And I think I have never been, I've never really sat down and been like, what's your story, Craig? Because it feels so businessy for me to be like, what got you from here to there? It just not, doesn't cross my mind. So I think for everybody listening, they would be curious, like, how did you go from a club promoter to one of the world's top ranked copywriters? Well, I was actually writing copy to get people into the club back then. (laughs) Yes. That was my unique thing that helped me become a successful club promoter. (laughs) So if you want to be a successful club promoter, you have to have one of three things. You have to have women that you can bring to the club. Customer. You have to have rich guys that you can bring to the club who will buy tables or you have to have celebrities. Mm -hmm. And the best promoters all have a celebrity best friend. Mm. So the top promoter in LA, uh, two of them, one of them is best friend is Charlie Sheen. The others is Robert Downey Jr. You know, I, I had a guy I would promote with who was uh, best friends with Jesse Metcalf. Uh, you know, there was another guy who's best friends with Adrian Grenier, you know, so you can get that one marquee celebrity. And I didn't have a celebrity best friend. And I was studying copywriting at the time for my business. So I was reading books on how to create engagement through writing. And I was also learning how to build email lists. So I teamed up with four other promoter guys that were more established. And we threw this event called the Hollywood prom and Hollywood prom was an idea by my friend, Brad Haas. And it is what it sounds. And we had a prom queen contest and we asked all the women to run for prom queen, you know, that, that, uh, whoever could nominate each other, et cetera, et cetera. We ended up with about uh, 25 women that said, yes, they wanted to be prom queen. And then we built a voting system so they could have all their friends vote for them. And I put an email capture in there. So people had to enter their email address in order to vote. Mm. So piggybacking off of this big event, I built an email list of something like 13,000 people (laughs) in about three weeks, you know, so that was something that most people didn't have. And the other four guys that were part of the event, they weren't, marketing savvy. So they didn't even ask for a copy of the email list. So I had that email list and it was a pretty broad list. You know, it had everyone from celebrities on it to the girls, uh, sorority groups back in their hometowns. And it was pretty funny when I would email the list and I invite them to the club in Hollywood, they'd be like, I live in Oklahoma or (laughs) some celebrities right back. They'd be like, how did you get my email address? Uh, And I remember I I had one email that I made a derogatory remark about reality TV stars and Lauren Conrad wrote back and she's like, um, I'm a reality TV star. And I don't even know if these people were on the email list, you know, (laughs) and and actually the reason Lauren Conrad was on it was because uh, Audrina from the Hills ran for prom queen. She was part of the contest. Oh my God, Craig, this is so good. So I built this list and then I would use copywriting techniques to communicate with them and get them excited about certain nightclubs and parties that I was a part of. And people really responded well to it. So that established me 
as a person who could bring a crowd. And on that list were uh, plenty of rich men, plenty of women, and you know, a handful of celebrities, though the celebrities don't, didn't really respond to email invites. But it was also interesting because this was 2007. So it wasn't that long ago, but there were still a fair amount of people, celebrities and regular folks alike, who wrote me and asked, how did you get this email address? They didn't really understand what they were doing when they entered it to vote. That's so good. Craig, how did I not know this? Yeah, so interesting, you know, and I had a business on the side back then that was doing lead generation. And a lot of the leads we would generate would be for dial up internet, you know, the dial up like the do do do. Yeah, it was 2007, and, and oh, there was still a big market for that. There was still a lot of people on that way after the, the bubbles that uh, we were in, in in L.A. and New York and San Francisco. You know, no one was not on Wi-Fi, but across America, you know, people are, people are still on dial-up internet. So. Oh, my gosh. This is, you know, always a new layer of you, Craig, that I get to find out about. So I yeah. love, love about this oh, story. Can I tell? Can I yeah, yeah. say one more funny thing about the problem yeah, thing that's totally unrelated to the podcast, but it's a funny conclusion. <laughs> yeah. So we did this prom queen contest, and we had gotten these PR companies to cover the event, and we have the voting going, and everyone thinks Adrena is going to smoke the contest and beat everybody, right? Because she's on the hills, and the rest of the girls were not of of any sort of of fame. And this is before Instagram or anything like that, you know, before the blue check mark. But Adrena was actually on the hills. And the votes are coming in. And there is this girl named Angie who is actually doubling the votes of Adrena. And Brad and I, who were running the contest, were wondering, we're like, where are all these votes coming from? How is she doing this? Because she, was, she didn't seem like a hacker who would get people in India to vote for her or anything like that. It turned out that her sorority from her college in Indiana uh, had all come together and they said, we're going to vote for Angie every single day because you're allowed to vote once a day. Oh my and god! So they had this sorority, and, you know, nationwide, just voting for Angie every single day. So the, the the night is coming, and we're about to announce the prom queen. And the PR companies are like, "Oh yeah, what's when's when are you going to announce Adrena as the prom queen?" And we were, we, what do you mean? Uh, you know, we're going to announce the person who got the most votes. And they said, "Well, it's Adrena, right? Like, how could anyone else have gotten more votes?" And we said, "Well." we're going to announce the fair winner. And they're like, wait a second. It's, it's not Adrena. Adrena didn't get the most votes. We're like, uh, you're about to find out. And they're like, no, Adrena has to win. Adrena <laughs> has to win. That is why we're here. That's what the PR is going to be about. If Adrena doesn't win, we don't have a story. We can't run this in the magazines and things like that. Adrena must win. And this is going on and the, the clock's ticking down and midnight's coming and we're about to announce the prom queen and the PR companies and Brad, who was the main organizer of the event and I are all in this like battle, you know, and Brad just fucking pushes through them and is like, fuck this. And he goes on stage and he's like, Angie Cole is the prom queen and the PR people lost their mind and like all crowd <laughs> lost their mind and Adrena lost her mind and, you know, no, Adrena was very graceful actually. Um, uh, so funny, yeah, but yeah, it was it was really funny. We did not allow the the fame to rig the contest. Do you know what's really funny, Craig? 
I was runner up prom queen. So I know exactly what Audrina went through, but not really because I couldn't even believe I got voted. And it was because I was dating somebody that everybody voted for. And I just kind of de facto got a vote because I was his girlfriend. <laughs> oh, wow. That's, that's hilarious. No high hopes. I was like, I don't think we're going to. But um, what a what a crazy story. And what a good testament to making something out of any job because I feel like coming from LA it's easy to think like there's just so many promoters like you don't even think wow if I have this job it's an opportunity to really make something out of it I think a lot of people listening they have a job and they're just doing their job and that's a wonderful thing and a lot of times more than some people are doing but it seems like you got very strategic and did business development beyond what you really had to. And I always tell people in the workforce, like no matter what your job is, if you can do business development, you're helping the company's bottom line. If you can tap into that entrepreneurial spirit. And I know there's a lot of psychological, you know, psychological elements to writing. What would you say is the first thing that you were considering as you were writing those emails to that audience that people who are listening, writing emails every day could be thinking about as far as being persuasive or having an impact or getting what they want out of the email? Yeah. Well, when you sit down to write to anybody, I think it's best to visualize one person Mm -hmm. and visualize what their dreams and hopes and desires are Mm -hmm. and then speak to them in a way that speaks to those. Yeah. So back when I was writing this prom list, which then turned into a general nightclub promotion list, I would talk about, you know, we've got a new nightclub coming up. It's going to be the the hottest party in town that you're going to remember this opening for the rest of your life. And you're going to look around and see the most amazing, beautiful people that could turn into relationships for you or business connections. And at the very worst case, you're going to have the best damn night of your life, you know? So just, just selling that dream. And I, I would have to sell it each night for each club, you know, <laughs> right. uh, is where I would bring in humor to keep people entertained. But yeah, it was basically just, uh, you know, sell, selling them that they're going to have an amazing time out of the nightclub is, it was, the the short of it, but also, you know, there's, there's these psychological drivers that we humans have like inclusion, you know, we all want to be a part of the tribe, right. And we especially want to be a part of the cool tribe that helps us feel more status. And the reason why is because back tens thousands of years ago, when we were running around as actual tribes, the people who were closest to the leadership had the most security and safety and the most resources. You know, they would get first uh, leg of the buffalo that was brought back by the hunters, you know, and choice mm-hmm. of uh, the shelter and the, uh, you know, the, 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 they get to pick the first cave that they got to stay in before anyone else. And they got access to the resources. So we have this internal programming where we want to be a part of the cool crowd but it really comes down to basic safety and security is the reason we want to do that. Mm. So, yeah, so I would talk about how you're going to be at the coolest spot and, you know, not everyone is going to be able to get in. Mm-hmm. And if you come through on my list and you come correct, which means that you have an even ratio of guys and girls, you know, preferably more women and, you either buy a table or, you know, get there early, 
then you're going to be able to come in. But if not, you know, you're going to be out there with everybody else. But since you and I are friends, you know, come to the door, ask for me or say, my, say you're on my list and, and you'll be escorted in. And that makes people feel like they have the inside connection, you know, so that makes them look cool to the friends that they do bring to the club and would get uh, someone to round up their, their girlfriends and come, you know, and, and the reason why, uh, this is a side note, but the reason why the club promoters would always say you got to have more girls than guys is because you got to accommodate for the rich guys that buy the uh, tables with them and seven of their buddies. You know, you got to balance that out. So it's not. Uh, the club isn't like one big sausage fest. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not <laughs> sexist. It's just uh, life. Well, you know, I hear that, Craig, but I actually was thinking about that the other day. I was like, how do these nightclubs not get like massive lawsuits from this being a reality? Because it is an element of gender discrimination, even if it keeps their business alive, you know, which is a whole different conversation. But super interesting how you guys have that dynamic, you know, and you have to navigate that through your writing. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. It's it's an interesting request to be making. And um, you were talking about getting a, a movement. So let's say that Sally is sitting in her workday right now and she's got a list of clients that she navigates, account manages, whatever have you. What are some things that she could do with her client list? Let's say she's, you know, in a team of five account managers or whatever that could give them this feeling of inclusion or could uh, make them feel that extra security or connection to her as their account manager. What kind of writing tools or tactics? So she is writing to her current clients. Yeah. She's writing to her current clients and you know, you know how it is. It's like in today's world, we have a lot of employees that maybe they have a portfolio of like 10 or 15 clients that they're kind of spread thin navigating all of them. How do they create this like tribal movement based, you know, uh, connection to them where they feel like it's special that they're working with them, you know, and that they're their account manager or something like that. Yeah. I think giving value that is not uh, cut and paste corporate bullshit. Okay. So I have a couple of different uh, bank accounts and one of them is with Wells Fargo and one of them is with a wealth management firm in, in New York called Core. And Wells Fargo, when the interest rates are moving, will send me this template email and it will say, hello, thank you for being a Wells Fargo customer. As you may have heard, interest rates are changing. And if you're interested in refinance, click here and we'll see if we can help you. And that is an insulting communication considering I've been with Wells Fargo for shoot 20 years. I do have a, a private banker over there and that banker didn't take the time to write me a one-to-one -one communication. I had to get the corporate thing that went out to probably every Wells Fargo customer. Mm -hmm. Whereas the team at core, when something like that happens, they, will most likely pick up the phone and call. Mm -hmm. But if they are going to send an email, which I, an email is, is totally fine in this situation. And if there's only five clients, you know, you can send a one-on-one -on -one email tailored to their specific situation on top, like say, you know, Hey, Ashley, 
here's a, a article that we're putting out as a company. Uh, pay attention to paragraphs three and seven, because I think they could really apply to you. You could probably skip the rest. Like mm-hmm. just having someone do that, they could even take the same, same corporate communication and send it out, but just the personalized note. I would definitely do that if it's only a team of five. Now, let's say you're writing to 5,000 people and you are Wells Fargo. Let's say you're, you're Wells Fargo and you're writing to you know 5,000 or 5 million or someone like that, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of doing that boring BS basic communication, you could write something really innovative that walks people through what's going on in the mortgage industry right now that is creating some significantly low rates and give them value in the form of information that they aren't going to get on another finance website. They're not going to see it on MSNBC or wherever they're looking. And that teaches them something. So they have more understanding than before they open that email and make it exciting and captivating to read. And that'll give you an advantage there doing Mm. just, just because you're giving value that the other people are not. Mm, got it. Okay. So it's, it's creating that like tailored relationship and being mindful. And when you talk, when you're kind of sitting down and starting a relationship or you're getting started writing something, what is the first thing going through your mind? Um, for anybody who's kind of sitting at their computer with like that ever intimidating blank email or page, and it feels like they need to write something that matters for their job or for that company. So the first thing you need to think about is who is this going to and what are their dreams, hopes, and desires? What are their fears and frustrations as well? Okay. So think and about what really pisses them off and what they're really scared of, and then think about what they really want and what they really need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, then, so- and you know, speak to them. Most people, when they sit down to write an email, they write what they want to write, they, what they personally want to write, what they personally want to talk about. But no one cares what you personally want to talk about. They only think about what is in it for me. We are in a world where people are bombarded with emails and advertisements. You know, the American um, average internet browser sees 4,000 advertisements in a day. And there is two ways to be the hot knife that cuts through all that shit. And one of them is speaking to them about their dreams and hopes and desires. And the other is doing it in a way that adds a ton of value. Mm. You know, one thing that you did at the beginning of this conversation when, uh, so guys, when Craig uh, hopped onto the recording, I was listening to an Instagram story about what nail polish to buy. So, you know, this is the context we're starting with. And you were talking to me, I was just asking you about how to, what to call this episode, like how to write like it matters or, you know, how to write your, and you had said something that kind of caters to this. I said, you know, how to write well. And you said, well, I would probably add a result that that's creating, like how to write well yeah. so that you get a promotion. So I think a lot of people are writing titles like what I have or, or subject lines of emails that don't get read. And it's because of that, like they're writing something that doesn't really show a result. So what else in that vein can people be thinking about, even as they're writing subject lines to their emails? Well, there's a, a, a writer named Gary Bensavenga that many say, say Gary was, people say Gary is, a, is the greatest living copywriter and it's hard to disagree with that. So Gary talks about a concept that he calls the Cracker Jack secret. 
and the Cracker Jack secret. Do you remember getting uh, Cracker Jacks as a kid? Yeah. And do you remember what the box says? Ugh, no, gosh, Craig. That's pretty retro to remember the Cracker Jack box. That's like a hacky sack and magic cards. And okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually bet that that a lot of people that are listening to this know what I'm talking about. Even if even if you don't, I'm going to bet a lot of people. Right, Craig. The Cracker I'm Jack box. I'm going to bring some pogs and beanie babies to your house to honor your Cracker oh, Jack. Yeah. yeah, and Garbage Pail Kids, too. Yeah. Um, cracker Jack was famous for the prize inside. Every box had a free prize inside. And so kids would go crazy to buy the Cracker Jack box just to see what that the damn prize was. Yeah. You do the same thing when you're writing an email and you can do it with your email subject line by letting them know that there's a prize inside. So a way to do that in using that mortgage example we're talking about would be, you know, the one hidden way to save a ton on your monthly mortgage payment. Or to be even more specific, you know, specificity is a way to make writing stronger. So if you're talking about something vague, like save a ton, you can improve it by saying save hundreds on your mortgage payment. It sounds more believable or just, you know, save $300 a month or $310 a month on your mortgage payment. It sounds even more believable. If you see that save $310 a month. They, you're looking at that and they're like, wow, this person must have looked at my mortgage and done some math. I'm going to open this thing up and see what they have to say. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hi, U-Turners. So sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to celebrate our sponsor, Jobseer, for this episode because they have just been such a game changer for so many of my job hunting clients, so many people in my programs who are looking to more quickly get people's email when they're cold networking, figure out exactly what jobs are a fit for them, and stop sifting so hard through all of the different job portals. So if you are curious on how you can expedite your job hunt, I highly recommend checking out jobs here. Uh, they gave us a link for you to access the tool completely free. You have an option to upgrade if you want to, but they give you so much free value on getting those free emails, learning what opportunities make sense for you all with that little plugin. All you need to do to access it is go to ashleystall.com slash jobs here. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com slash J-O-B-S-E-E-R. Absolutely love the tool and can't wait to hear what you think of it. Now let's get back to this week's episode. What you're pointing to right now, it makes sense as far as like, I get so many emails and sometimes I'm on lists that I never open an email. And then every now and again, I'll pop one open and I'll read the whole thing. And I think to myself, like, why did I open that one? You know? And I always look at the line and you're making a really good point. I think sometimes, because a lot of people listening to this, they might be working in marketing. And what I want to ask you about also is networking in general, like how to write a good networking email. But you know, a lot of people write and work in marketing and they're not really realizing like sometimes they write things that don't feel believable. And that's the problem is that they have such a grand offer that the customer probably sees the subject line and thinks themselves, this isn't even feasible. I'm not going to open this. So right. that point you're making is, is really great. And as it relates to networking, I know anybody listening to this episode is wanting to write a cold email that gets them a meeting, let's say with a hiring manager. And it is an ever crowded job market right now, especially in the wake of coronavirus. It's just going to be ongoing for a while. What would you say is a really unexpected 
subject line that isn't going to feel like clickbait that would be ideal for a networking email? Oh, well, uh, first of all, I think that, well, we, we did, did, why are you saying uh, networking email? Just, I want to clarify. Are you saying that you want to get the job or an interview or that you want to become friends with the person? Because when I think of networking, I think of more of uh, uh, trying to, you know, homey up with somebody. I think it's in between. So they don't want to necessarily become friends with the person. Maybe a job isn't open, but they want to be at the top of that person's mind when there is something open. So ideally the email would be to like a potential boss or like somebody who has some sort of hiring power that they want to have like a cup of coffee with sort of like homey it up with them. Got it. So they're maybe not writing to the HR recruiting person. They're pro- they're writing to the the founder to the founder or not even, I mean, that might be too high on the chain. If it's a large company, um, I would say somebody on the team that could has, has the authority to hire them. Gotcha. Okay. So I wouldn't write an email in this situation. I think those people get a shit ton of emails. I would send a FedEx package. Oh my gosh, Craig, that is amazing. Tell me more. I would send a FedEx package and then I would use a technique uh, from another legendary copywriter, Gary Halbert. Mm-hmm. And it, it, in the FedEx package, I would have a letter to that hiring manager. I would find out their name mm-hmm. and the position, of course. And then I would attach a $1 bill to the top of the letter. And I would say, Let's say the hiring manager is is Ashley. <laughs> okay. Um, and I'd, the letter, they'd open it up and it'd say, Dear Ashley, my name is Craig Clemens. And as you can see, I've attached a nice crisp $1 bill to the top of this letter. Why have I done that? Actually, for two reasons. First, because what I want to talk to you about today is about how I can help your company make more money. And I felt that because it is on the subject of money, that the dollar bill would be an appropriate eye catcher. Two, (laughs) the reason I attached the dollar bill is because I am writing you for the position of sales manager. And as you'll see in the attached uh, resume, and as you read the rest of my cover letter, you'll see that I have a proven track record of increasing sales at companies by 30 to 40% within a very short time of of me going over and taking over the sales management position. And my goal with this letter, Ashley, and this dollar bill is a unique one. Now you can do whatever you want with it. You can go buy a lottery ticket or use it at the vending machine or give it to a kid on the street. But what I hope you will do is that you'll frame it and put it in your office. And when every, everyone comes into your office when, and they ask you, hey, Ashley, what is that framed dollar bill back there? You'll be able to point to it and say, that dollar bill is the first one I received because of my hiring of Craig Clemens. And since then, he has made me millions more. Mm. So cheeky, Craig. Holy shit. A bunch of people are going to head to the bank right now and 
the teller is going to wonder why they want so many ones. <laughs> yeah, and you, it doesn't have to be a one. It could be a $2 bill with a, a similar story. It could be a, um, a foreign coin. Maybe if it's an international company and you specialize in international sales, you could tape five international coins at the top and say, hey, these are, you'll see I've attached five coins from different, different regions around the world. And the reason I, I did that is because one, I wanted to get your attention. And two is because I specialize in, in helping new companies sell to foreign territories. And I'd love to expand your operation in these territories. And I'm uniquely qualified to do it, as you'll see in the materials attached. Let me know when we can speak in person about it. Mm. You, know, you can not read that cover letter and resume. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I'm noticing, obviously, not just right now, but all the time with you is that it's, the, there's a pattern interrupt here, like changing the typical email job hunting application and turning it into a FedEx package with money in it. It seems like this is just an ongoing strategy to get noticed is to be unexpected. But I also assume that there is a tipping point where it actually hurts the relationship. It doesn't help it. So how do you kind of make that decision to be bold without pushing the envelope so much that you lose an opportunity? For example, I often hesitate when people want to call a hiring manager because they're busy people and they saw the application and it feels kind of like a power play sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. If they're asking for their time on the phone by ringing their phone line, they're on the phone with them and they might not be down for that phone call. So how do you make that decision, Craig? You know? Yeah, definitely. I think you have to think about what is um, what is appreciated and what is not. And I know it, it can be tough, you know, because of the awareness levels of certain people and because some hiring managers might appreciate the phone call and some might be like, this is annoying, you know? Yeah. I think sending a, a communication in mail or email is pretty casual and they can open it at their leisure and decide to act on it. It's not as in your face and forced as a phone call or showing up in person. Mm -hmm. But that said, if I'm a hiring manager and someone shows up to deliver their cover letter and resume in person and just says, Hey, I just want, you know, I'm sure you're getting a lot of these. I wanted to deliver this to you in person and, and just, just say a, a quick hello. Nice to meet you. Here it is. Let me know what you think of it. And I'd love to talk further if, if I meet your qualifications and just, and then leave it. Mm-hmm. would probably be a welcome hello, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it. Um, and so- but, but across the line would be, hey, I'm here now. I, I, let's talk now. Like I, I need, let's do an interview right now to save us both some time since I'm here, I think would be pushing it, you know, yeah. be respectful of the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know that you have so many different forces pulling on your time, Craig, because I'm you know, being in your home so often with your wife, Sarah, who everybody probably has heard me say a thousand times, she's my closest and dearest friend. It's like, I see how hard you work. And so with all these different forces pulling on you, what makes you decide to pay attention to an opportunity from a word standpoint? What, what can somebody, what does somebody say, or what, what's an email that you've gotten before that makes you think, dang, I want to read that. I think when someone does some of the work for free and submits it, Ah, okay. That's Tell a huge me way to stand out. Okay. So, so we do uh, a lot of copywriting at my company and people assume that I hire the copywriters, which I actually don't, but I have that reputation. So writers have written me in the past and they'd say, Hey, I, I 
came across one of your products online, you know, your, your shake mix. I thought it was really great. And so I wrote this sales copy for it. If you want to use it, go ahead. You know, you feel free to. And if you want to talk about hiring, you know, I'd love to come and work at your company and write this copy for you every day. But I wanted to write this to, as a sample of my work and to hopefully have it be valuable as something you could use. That's a good way to get attention. That'll always get a response. Even if the copy sucks, I'm going to respond to them and say, hey, thanks so much for this. You, you're not quite ready yet. Here's some books to read. You know, write me, uh, keep writing strong and, and keep honing your craft. And I'd love to, I appreciate your ethic and I'd love to keep the conversation going. You're not ready yet. You know, or if they are ready, I'll send them straight to my copy chief and say, hey, check this out. This is someone we should talk to. So that's a great way to do it. Uh, and it doesn't have to be copywriting. You know, we had a woman we were interviewing for a CEO position of one of our brands. And this woman was a shark. And on interview number three, she showed up with an expansion plan, a PDF expansion plan. Oh, my and, God. Uh, did a 15-page presentation to us. And we made her a job offer and she actually ended up going with someone else. Yeah, she was, she was, she was badass, you know, and we were blown away. We're like, wow. She came yeah. in for the second or third interview. I can't remember what it was. And she presented to us what we should be thinking about with the brand. Wow. This is so interesting. So it's, it's, and you know what, this is really great because I have told a lot of job seekers before. It's like, before you go into an interview, do some groundwork, understand who their competitors are, understand what other companies are doing as it relates to the role that you're interviewing for so that you can come in with some context and be able to make some suggestions that are actually grounded in things that could actually work for them. And people don't usually put in that legwork because I think they get into the mindset that it's a numbers game, you know, like more you got to, And it is, it is Craig, right? Like you got to put more applications out to get a conversion rate on ones that actually translate. And so I mean, it is, but you're going to have your, your one or two that are probably your dream jobs, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you got to go for it on those and do something that shows the people that you are an exceptional person. And I know by the mere fact that people are studying your stuff, Ashley, that they're probably exceptional or want to be. So mm -hmm. show that to the hiring manager by demonstrating that value. Mm -hmm. This is so, so good to hear and so needed for so many people to remember. And what message would you have for somebody that is emailing and trying to network and kind of get to know people and they're just not hearing back? It's like, yes, they might want to send some FedEx packages and they'll do that. But what what would be your feedback for them to keep going or what, what could they try outside of the package to get their email noticed or to get a meeting, like inspire somebody who opens that email to say, yeah, I want to meet with this person? Well, I think at a certain point you need to ask them, hey, is am I not qualified for this job? And it, you know, just let me know one way or the other. And if not, what can I do to become your ideal candidate? Because I'm really interested in it. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be part of it at some point, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know what the recommended number of times is, but you I mean, you always hear those stories about people who get rejected 20 times. Then the, you know, the 21st, they become the next, uh, uh, you know, great star in the organization. So mm -hmm. I'm probably not the best person to answer that also because I have perhaps too much of a sensitivity to, anno to annoying people. Mm. So I used to be in phone sales and I used to sell credit card merchant accounts. And my, my coworkers who would call their 
potential clients more, the ones who would call them, you know, three times a week to see if they'd sign up. They did, they did more sales than I did. Yeah. Cause I would say, Oh, I'm never going to call someone more than once a week. I don't want to bug them. I was too self-conscious about that to be a strong salesman. So I'm not the best person to ask there because I think some, and sometimes persistence crushes it. And that's actually why I was more comfortable doing sales via writing is because I can yeah. do a written communication where I can close so hard, you know, because it's all in one shot versus where I had to like, keep picking up the phone and I was just self-conscious about bothering someone. Mm, I love this point. And I know I remember you talking about how you like smiled and dialed is <laughs> what you said for a long time. And what I also would love to ask about is saving relationships through writing. So I know a lot of people are in some sort of client driven industry or they're doing marketing to fix something, to fix a reputation of a company and uh, they want to save or heal some sort of break in relationship. Um, what, where would your mind go from a writing standpoint to fix something? Because I know there's a fine line between putting attention in a spotlight on something that you've damaged versus fixing it. You know what I mean? Give me an example. Yeah. So let's say that, um, a big marketing company told you I put you on the spot, Craig, but I feel like you're about to blow this away. So, uh, let's say that a company, somebody's losing their client right now and they need to save that client relationship. It's a huge account and some mistake happened and they want to fix it. Well, how would you start that kind of a conversation to build a bridge and expand on the relationship versus letting it go? Oh, well, I think taking ownership for the mistake would be the first thing I would do uh-huh. and not blaming anyone else. Okay. So there's this principle of extreme ownership. There's a book by Jocko Willink that we have everyone in our company read. And the, the book starts out about how Jocko was leading this team of Navy SEALs in Ramadi, which is in uh, Afghanistan during the Gulf War. And he leads them to this base where the bad guys are holed up and they surround the base and they start shooting and, and you know, they trap the bad guys in there for three days. And in the meantime, there's this other group of, of Navy SEALs that are scouting out Afghanistan, looking for the bad guys. And they're radioing in to their commander and they'll be like, hey, we're trapped in this bunker and we can't get out. We're surrounded and we don't know what to do. Mm. Turned out it was Americans on Americans. Mm. It, and it was a, it could have led to Luckily, no one was hurt, but it, it was it's the worst thing that can happen in the military is a friendly fire incident. Mm-hmm. And Jocko had a person on his team that was reading the maps and he had a radio person and someone who scouted the strategy. And there was all these people he could have blamed. And, and, you know, they pulled them both off of the battlefield and they brought Jocko in to face all of the big uh, generals and things like that. And they said, okay, why did this happen? And said, it happened because I screwed up. It happened because I wasn't in communication with my uh, my team as well as I could have been and should have been. I, I didn't uh, have the communication between my radio operator and the map person. And I take responsibility for this, this friendly fire potential incident. Mm. Mm. And they were all really impressed by that. They thought he was going to blame someone, you know, because he took the responsibility. They, they reinstated his position and he ended up rising in the ranks. And so if you screw something up, I think it's, it's important that you take the responsibility because 
you know, anything that happened because of someone at your company or, or on your watch is really, if, if you're the bridge between your company and the client, then it is your responsibility. It's on you. Mm -hmm. And beyond taking responsibility, you know, like, let's say they really want to keep that relationship from like a wording standpoint. Is there anything that you think somebody could really say beyond taking full ownership? that could keep the relationship going or keep the person considering doing business with them? You know, I think it's more of a phone call. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. it's more of a phone call to like call them up, take the responsibility, explain the situation and ensure to them that it's never going to happen again, again. And that here's the procedures you're putting in place to ensure it's never going to happen again. You know, I love that you said that because I think a lot of people sometimes like in the same way that you liked writing and it helps you like close sales without having to get on the phone and deal with that discomfort. I think a lot of people sometimes are tempted to like write more emails when it is a phone call that needs to happen and yeah. that uncomfortable conversation. So I love that you're making this point for people who are listening. This is really golden. Um, well, Craig, is there anything I didn't think to ask you that you would love for anybody who is driving into their workday right now? Uh, really cares about doing well and uh, just wants to be a better writer in general, given how powerful you've been with words? I think studying basic copywriting is something that will pay dividends no matter what career you find yourself going for. Uh -huh. Even if you're an artist or a musician, anything that you do is going to end up requiring some written word and being good at it is so valuable. So I would recommend reading some of the, the all-time great copywriting books. Uh, one I, I highly recommend is more on psychology. It's called Influence. It's by Robert Cialdini. It's, it's spelled uh, C-I-A-L-D-I-N-I. -I. That's a great book. And then there's another book uh, by a guy named Joe Sugarman called uh, Advertising Secrets of the Written Word. And he has another, a, another book. He's got a good, bunch of great books, but another one he wrote called Triggers, and it's the 30 reasons why people buy. And if mm, you understand those that. things, you can use them in your email because the reasons people buy products are the same reasons that people hire candidates or pick new clients or choose one business to go with over another when they're looking for some type of service, if that makes sense. Yeah, this has been so awesome, Craig. Thank you so much for making the time. I'm really excited for people to listen to this. My pleasure. Lots of fun. I was looking forward to you. so much for listening to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. In the meantime, if you heard about any resource that you're interested in from one of our guests, you can find it listed in our show notes on the podcast tab of my website, ashleystahl.com. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com. On that page, you'll also see our free quiz to help you discover what career path you're actually meant for. And of course, we cannot thank you enough for written podcast reviews. I read every single one. I get so motivated from reading your words and it just means the world to me that you take a moment if you have an Apple device and you write an actual review for me. Thank you so much for doing that. Appreciate you being here and cannot wait to connect with you next week.
This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.